0: Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you are well. Today's session actually is a release of a panel we did in the summit earlier this year, 2022, the Evolution of Coaching Summit. And this panel is focused on trauma and coaching. And it's with Bibi Hansen, Steve Hoskinson, and Kim Barter. So we're going to explore how do we define the line between coaching and therapy, that infamous question, What does that open up? What does that close down the way we define it? And we'll talk on a broader level as well of how are we being invited to hold what healing and deep transformational work is in these times when we're facing all these systemic pressures, these crises and this change in worldview that we're going through and everything that entails. So it's a very rich conversation. It was very well appreciated in the summit and I'm pleased to be sharing it with you. And just to say a few more words about the speakers, just very quickly, Steve Hoskinson is the founder of Organic Intelligence, which is an organization running trainings, really cool approaches to working with trauma. I think he's got a fascinating approach to this work. Actually, I've done a podcast with Steve earlier. You probably want to check that out. Bibi Hansen is the principal of presence-based coaching, an incredible coach and teacher of coaches. And I have a previous podcast with her as well, if you want to check that out. Kim Barter has been on the podcast a couple of times recently. He's an internationally recognized psychotherapist and has some really powerful teachings and distinctions on shadow, which you can hear about in the podcast we did. So just the last thing to say is if you want to join our mailing list, we've got a global community of over 75,000 transformational coaches, and I, I think one of the common themes in this community is we deeply care about this vocation of coaching. You can head to coachesrising.com, just scroll down, you'll find a sign-up box there. You can just put your name in the loop and you'll hear about all things we create which are not this podcast. All right, let's dive in. Here's the Summit session with Bibi, Steve and Kim. Welcome back to this session in the Summit and I'm really, really glad to be here again. It's been an amazing week. We've been going for about nine days now and I was just sharing with the panel members that I've both really appreciated the caliber of the, the conversations and live sessions, but also of the community that's gathered around, around the summit and the, 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 the passion each of you has to your own path of growth and the work you do and the, the quality of questions. So, so here we are again. And for those of you who haven't seen me before, maybe some people are joining for the first time. My name is Joel. I'm one of the co-founders of Coaches Rising. And yeah, well, I'll just say I'll just because we want to get right into it. I just want to say a little bit about the summit and the panel and then introduce the the speakers tonight. Maybe we'll pause for 30 seconds of silence and then and then dive in. And our topic tonight is, um, is this divide or this line uh, be, between coaching and therapy? Okay so, and, but let me just zoom out a little bit. So, for those of you who haven't heard me say this, you know this whole summit is our attempt to explore the the evolution that coaches may be being invited to make collectively and individually in our times as we move between these worlds. You know, people have framed it in this way: this time between worlds, and maybe one story is breaking down and. Some new stories, or threads threads of a new story are emerging. You might even say modernity is breaking down with its, um, you know, with all the things that modernity's emphasized. And you know, what do we want to keep out of modernity? What is it time to let go of? And so, so inside of this like liminal space, I certainly personally have been deeply questioning. What is it to be a coach? What what are some of the the ways I hold what human development is uh, that emerged out of modernity? That it's time to question. You know, how 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 is how is that older worldview influencing the work that we do? And yeah, what deeper, what deeper level of questioning are we being invited to make around that? And so that's what we've been doing. And and I, I think we'll get into that territory today as we as we play around with this, you know, the coaching therapy question, which is so often, uh, you know, a question on coaches' minds, you know, and, and, and rightly so, great, you know. I was just saying, on, in one way, we want to be sensitive and be, be attuned and aware of our skill set and of uh, the, the, the person in front of us and to, um, you know, to, to not re-traumatize people, to, not, to do no harm you know uh on the other hand you, you know as as um people have said to me uh coaches are doing therapy you know um you might not agree with that but i, I certainly feel like in my own experience there's there's um there's a, there's a healing taking place often inside of coaching and i guess the one last thing i'll say before introducing the speakers is you know on my mind recently has been this sense of uh the, the, the necessity for healing, actually, in any development process, and how perhaps in coaching we've privileged, or are exclusively focused on this notion that we that of development, but actually this, there's a, there's a call for us to be, to move into a kind of um, a descending path where we can where we can um, metabolize uh, any structures or heal ways that then allow new new shoots of development to occur. So anyway, that's just some thoughts. And we'll see if there, if that sparks anything in the, the panel tonight. I want to introduce them. So um, I'll say, uh, I'll keep it quite quick. And first, I'll bring up uh, Steve Hoskinson. I've just gotten them on the order I've got on my paper here. So um, Steve's collaborated with us before with Coaches Rising. And uh, yeah, he's the founder and CEO of organic intelligence the organic intelligence outreach institute and he's trained thousands of coaches uh, sorry thousands of trauma therapists and health professionals mindfulness experts and teachers worldwide and he presents at conferences worldwide and is an adjunct faculty for the jfk university somatic psychology program at least i I hope you still are i'm not sure if that's up to date but um welcome steve yeah i hope i still am too (laughs) nice uh and i have bb hansen with us as well some of you might know bb from some of our programs bb is the principal of presence-based coaching she teaches all levels of their icf approved certification program and supports students through that certification process and she's also designed the mentor coaching course and has trained a team of pbc mentor coaches who who deliver that course she's a a coach herself so welcome bb
1: Thank you, Joel. I just want to acknowledge this is in the lineage of Doug Silsby, our beloved mm. founder, who is no longer with us, but is with us.
0: Mm. And Doug had such a, you know, a beautiful impact on me and, and, and it was a spark in the formation of Coaches Rising. So, yeah.
1: Thank you. Um,
0: yeah. Kim Barter. Who you may have heard on the recent uh, recent podcast I put out, really popular podcasts on shadow. So Kim is an internationally recognised psychotherapist and speaker, and he works with the entire spectrum of human development from in- infants to the elderly, and specialises in working with advanced developmental level individuals. And he conducts international workshops on human development and yeah, his work on shadow is considered really cutting edge in the field. I've learned a lot from him around that as well. So welcome
2: Kim. Thank you, Joel. Nice to be here with you all.
0: Great. So yeah, maybe let's just actually pause a moment. I like actually started to do that. So just, just take 30 seconds. Um, I wanna just invite you to just allow your attention to drop into your body. we we'll just spend a few moments sensing our bodies
3: from the inside out.
0: This is how we are right now. And then just, I'd like to invite you to like, what's your highest intention for being on this call right now? If one comes to you. Perhaps you can even feel that intention in your body. All right. So I wanted to keep that short but sweet. And I like uh, I was saying in the check-in that we've got like a coaching corner and a therapy corner on this call. Steve and Kim, perhaps you might say their work is oriented more to therapy and BB uh, to coaching, myself, the coaching background. And... Yeah, I think I'm just going to ask a really like simple, but maybe not simple question to begin with, which is, you know, is, is there a clear line between coaching and therapy? Um, like, is that, even, is that even a useful question or not? Um, but yeah, and perhaps we could even say there is and there isn't, but I'm just curious what each of you would say about that to begin
3: with.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that's a simple question. Uh, so I'd say that in the International Coaching Federation, you know, this one of our governing bodies in the United States of coaches, uh, it is an international body also. But there are others in Europe that regulate and certify coaches, credential coaches. Uh, there is a pretty strict line, and it's an ethical issue. It's a scope of practice issue, and it seems pretty clear when they describe it. And as we know with most ethical issues, uh, it is not clear, it's not a clear distinct line uh, in practice. So when we uh, come together with a client, it's an emerging uh, evolving, as we're talking about the evolution of coaching uh, situation. And so we, my feeling about it is that more and more, or my experience also, but my noticing is that more and more of this trauma-informed trauma-sensitive coaching um, is becoming more in the collective consciousness. And I think it's needed because more of our clients uh, and we all are facing a lot more stress and pressure in the last few years. We, can, we all know what those are, what those have been. So I think that it's revealing, uh, as one of my teachers says, some of the fault lines. Uh, within our own psyches and a lot more trauma is surfacing for people in their regular experience. So I think we need to be having this conversation and prepared to work at whatever level we have competence around that staying within the core competencies um, and also we need to maybe evolve a little bit in terms of the profession. So no it's not a black and white line for sure in my experience. I'm interested in what you, what you two have to say, <laughs> Steve and Kim.
0: Yeah, and also just to add, uh, because I found, in, of course, in both Kim and Steve's work, there is, there is, um, you know, there's a, there's a developmental impulse, like a. Uh, so, so yeah, that's why I was excited to bring you both in. I'm just curious what you'd say about this this question about the divide. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm mulling my
4: response uh, there are so many. Um, I, I, thank you uh, BB also for just naming like core competencies and you know when we think of uh, scope of practice we're really talking about what what we're trained in what we have like you know legitimate uh, expert training in. Uh, and then some level of supervision and practice. So, you know that that says a lot about the the necessity of a community of support for whatever work that we're doing. And so, uh, keeping in mind those core competencies and scope, you know, really that training and supervision. Um, uh, for me, uh, and as we're looking at uh, how to how to be supportive for people in their lives, and you know, I think uh, the The thing that we're going to be proposing in organic intelligence is actually relevant both to coaches and to uh, psychotherapy, which is to look at what is the nature and what are the conditions for growth and development? What are the conditions uh, of interaction that likely lead to harm? and to to negative outcomes. And so I I think we've not looked enough either in the field of psychotherapy. This is documented in in research. We haven't looked enough uh, in psychotherapy and likely not in coaching either at the incidence of harm that occurs uh, in the encounter. So I think some level of uh, new consideration of like formal assessment of harm and getting feedback in that uh, direction is really important uh, because I think it's underrepresented the 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 layers of challenge that that our interactions uh, bring and that that leads to the third point, which is, I think that we are. Uh, over, uh, we are able to draw a better distinction between coaching and therapy, in to the degree that we are, in, as coaches, maintaining our focus on uh, sort of the client-centered approach to self-selected goals and keeping in mind that the goal direction. Um, and, uh, and the, the attainment of goals in particular, and the, the not focus on what's normally called trauma, which is historical facts and stories uh, from uh, the OI standpoint and this somatic uh, informed approach. We're looking at growth and development that the system wants to grow its capacity through this, this nest of support. Basically, uh, and that uh, that content or story, historical antecedents are important mainly to the degree that it's necessary for the all-important attunement or relational connection that's there. So um, we'll we'll be advocates for um, uh, you know attunement first and foremost, but then to uh, see that our systems biologies aren't really concerned about trauma, they have a whole host of other interests that we want to ally ourselves with. And I imagine we'll talk more about that, uh, ongoingly.
2: Well, it's nice hearing you BB and Steven talk about this. And obviously it shows that there's quite a diversity of exploration around it and I'll offer an even other, another one. Um, in my opinion, um, coaching is already doing psychotherapy, uh psychotherapy is a very broad field. And I've never heard a coach that uh, coaches often say, we don't do psychotherapy. And I ask them what they do. And I go, that is this form of psychotherapy. A lot of times what's happening is people are saying, and, and the ICF but it seems to make this erroneous distinction between uh coaching and psychotherapy. Often stating psychotherapy almost being like psychodynamic psychotherapy, as if that's all psychotherapy is. And that's just one of hundreds of forms of psychotherapy. You know, we, we do everything from simple education to psychodynamic psychotherapy, uh, somatic to systems, symbolic work to cognitive restructuring, affective work to relationship-based, client-centered psychotherapy. And all of that is part of psychotherapy. What's really happened is coaches have been trained in a specific, narrower field, and then tried to separate it from psychotherapy. And I think this came about as as um, as psychotherapy was trained in 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 educational institutions, and coaching kind of arose more in the um, in the overall uh, secular world. Lack of non academic. Um, so organizations could do their own training, and they tried to separate that out. I think it was a reasonable thing to do at the time, but I don't think that it's an honest uh, distinction, and I think we might be wise to just say, okay, yes, we are doing some forms of psychotherapy. Let's just be honest about it, and and um, this is the form, and no, it's not all this, and and hopefully in academic institutions, psychotherapists are trained a little bit in all of them, but honestly speaking, a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are only trained in one form of psychotherapy, just like a lot of coaching institutions are trained in one form of coaching, which is also a subcategory of one form of psychotherapy, such as client-centered psychotherapy or educational-based psychotherapy or whatever form you choose to have. And so I've, I've worked with uh, and trained uh, not as many people as Stephen has, but, but it's PhD psychotherapists, coaches, spiritual mentors, and um, all of them are using some form of psychotherapy. It's just how narrow or how broad your understanding is of the field of psychotherapy, in my personal opinion.
4: I really like those distinctions and just really looking at that overlap. And uh, we, we, maybe we could say that, and I'm finding this actually with our coaches, that they're abandoning their uh, psychotherapy licensing and coming over into coaching. So I, I, maybe it's that the psychotherapists are becoming more like coaches uh, than, uh, than coaches are becoming like psychotherapists. So I don't know. Uh, but I, I, I totally agree with that, that sense of overlap that you're speaking of.
2: Yeah, I think involved in that, Stephen, is this this whole thing is like I've abandoned my psychotherapy license because the psychotherapy license constricts you in such a a way that is not real pleasant to have to work under. And coaching gives you a little more freedom in a sense because you're not bound to the same constrictions and third-party payment uh, requirements and everything like that. So there's a freedom that occurs in coaching and non-academic uh, uh, oriented, you know, lifestyle. And there's a limitation in it. So I think what we're really looking at is, is what are the benefits and, and, and costs of each style of education, not so much which is each. Because like if you even take a look at the field of psychotherapy It was comprised of three different fields that were originally very distinct. You know, you had the clinical psychologists that were experimental oriented. You had the social workers that were government institutional oriented. And you had the counselors that were education based oriented. And they were pretty clear and distinct and pretended to be distinct. And now everybody's using all the you can't tell which training somebody came from at this point. It's all mixed up. They're all psychotherapists. And I think it's just a matter of time before coaching uh, and psychotherapy have that same awakening that really we're all doing the same thing. It's a matter of what kind of training and some institutions, some academic institutions only train one form of psychotherapy. So it's very narrow, like all you're trained in is cognitive restructuring. That's going to be very limited. It's going to be very effective for the people you're effective for, but it's going to be extremely limited, narrow orientation in healing and coaching has its own narrow orientation and, and uh, they're trying to break out of it now. And I think if we just really take a look at the global experience of what it means to be a healer and all the tools that are available to us today, because there's such a vast array of tools developing more and more tools just allows us to be better healers. And I don't think that we can say that an academic institution is necessarily better than that, than, a, a, what I'm calling a secular or an organizational one, such as coaching, but, um, I think at this point there are benefits and consequences to each, and I think some of the things that you said, Stephen, where you actually train uh, people, and, and, and I have done that too. Video training is incredible. It's really important that you videotape yourself and mm-hmm. and have other people provide feedback to you about that training. Um, what we do is we really look at the role, and this is to bring in the 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 the. the harm that we can cause, how much of our work is actually projection onto our clients versus actual healing. And I think um, I think that's a really important thing that we need to look at is, is have people that are really trained in understanding projections to be able to give you feedback on your video going, hey, this was a projection onto your client. And often what happens is I think people talk about intuition and they say, oh, I'm coming from my intuition. And it's like, no, that's a projection. That's a shadow projection that you just put on your client. You're actually causing harm. Now I'm not saying yeah. intuition. I mean, dive ent- into so many ideas. You feedback, <laughs> you need feedback about whether your intuition is projection or whether it's actually intuition. And so I said a lot fall so back off
0: now. Yeah, I want to make sure because there's so many threads you're, uh, you're bringing up there, really important ones. But I don't know, um, Bibi, is there anything you want to bring in in response? You know, there's quite a lot of things being shared. I,
1: I'm so appreciating you, Kim. You're bringing in a lot, lots of really, I mean, I have like five pieces of notes here that I want to bring in from what you said. So first of all, let me just bust myself. I was trained as a therapist on the social work side, clinical therapist, however. So I also have worn this hat, you know, I don't do it anymore because I put a pretty strong line when I became a coach because I felt coaching was more effective. In fact, I was more doing coaching than therapy. So I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know what a coach was, but now I do. And I understand the differences in both. And so what I would say to the first part of what you said, um, Kim, is that, you know, I think the problem uh, that we're running up against in the difference between therapeutic or therapy and coaching is that therapy is based on a medical model, which is pathology. Now it's changing now, Uh, you know, things are changing around it, but it was really based on pathology and diagnosis and treatment. So the client was sort of, well, or patient, you know, was sort of not empowered and I think the threads that I feel are important about coaching is that it is actually the client's agenda, and so that in our work that that and in all coaching work that is actually the primary thing. We meet the client where they are. We don't tell them what's wrong with them and based
2: psychotherapy. That's Rosarian. That's yeah. Psychotherapy.
1: So. I'm really appreciating coaching for changing that paradigm in a certain way, even though it didn't, as you said, didn't come out maybe out of academics, it, was definite, it has definitely evolved how we help, how we can help another person. And there are competencies developed around it and it is in the present moment and forward-looking, which is the definition that we could say ICF has. But I feel, or, and I feel that actually works the best That is actually what we as humans respond to. I think, you know, looking into Steve in your work, um, I see that that's also your paradigm, that there is some uh, human design that responds to being in the driver's seat around it with their work, whether it's therapeutic or not, whether it's healing or not, it's still change work and that's what we are trained for as a coach. And the other piece I just wanna bring in is bringing it back to the trauma situation. Um, I'm not not sure, although I do see that coaching has a role in certain aspects of trauma work. And this has been my particular interest for about a year. I just had this epiphany around that, at least the way we do coaching at presence-based coaching because we have an emphasis on developmental work and on somatics as well as several other streams. And so um, I think that there is a place, possibly, I'm in that question of what that could be. And I also know that I was not trained as a trauma therapist. And so I would not take on certain parts of trauma work. So I feel like some clients need a trained trauma professional to that has particularly clinical skills around that that I'm not uh, trained in. So that's why I originally said scope of practice my competencies that that's how I'm going to make that determination whether I'm a fit for that client where they what the what's happening for them or not and refer out. So thank you for all of that that you said Kim. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think, I think you're right on, BB. What we all need to look at is our own scope of practice, our own competencies. And it doesn't matter whether we're psychotherapists or coach or what label, we, a spiritual mentor, what label we give ourselves. We need to be deeply honest with our scope of practice and our core competencies. And we can build those over time. And regardless of whether it be from the academic side or the coaching side, I don't know how to divide that in terms of the training part. But um I, I agree with you hundred percent that we really have to have a, a soul searching look at our core competencies and our scope of practice. The,
0: there's there's a lot of different um things being brought in. So I'm just trying to to sort of sense where to go. Um I think um I'm really interested in a few things that have been said, like what, one is is um this notion of of um, projection that you brought up, Kim, you know, like uh, I think there's something interesting in that actually, and I'm curious what BB and Steve might say to that, because yeah, m- m- maybe if we like if we extend what you're saying, it sounds like you're saying yeah, there's deep work to be done there because you might think you're being very clean as a practitioner but actually you're probably making some projections onto your client and that there's, there's value in cleaning that up. Am I getting that kind of right? What you're saying?
2: Yes. You're, you're hearing that correctly. When we do our trainings, we do the video training and we walk our, our, uh, the people that we're training through. And it doesn't matter whether they're PhD psychotherapists, coaches, spiritual mentors, we have not had one person go through that is not massively projecting upon their client. We train them how to clean up those projections, how to witness them, and how to self-assess them by watching their own videos after we train them so that they can continually clean up their own projections.
0: Well, if just before I um, see what Steve and BB wants to say about that, like, I know this is a big question, but uh, how can you know when you're making a projection? Is it is it something you can actually attuned to in the moment, or is it that you need, yeah, it it almost takes that kind of uh, video reflection so that you can then get a hang of when you're doing it?
2: Yeah, uh, in my opinion, uh, having someone who's trained in understanding projections, watching your video, and then giving you feedback on every word, every movement, every gesture, every orientation that you provide, um, we, we, we go down to that level of specificity you know, why did you use that specific word? What was that conveying to your client when you use that specific word? And, and assess out whether that's a projection or what's going on there. And that really helps people to get clear on when they're projecting and when they're actually in flow. Like Steven says, this organic flow with your client, that's what we want to get to is this organic flow with your client. But if you're projecting how much that is, is actually disturbing that organic flow from a client-centered, as BB says, client-centered point of view. And so what we do is we do that training and then people learn how to give their feedback to themselves. They go through their own videos and their own transcripts and look at each word and go, yes, I was projecting here. or No, I wasn't. And then they, that's cross correlated with the feedback from the instructor.
0: Well, I'm just, I'm curious if Steve and BB want to reflect on, on this, Uh, like, like, you know, you might probably sound very agreeable with it, but maybe, maybe you don't, maybe it's, maybe you feel like, ah, there's a way where we don't need to worry too much about projecting. I so appreciate that, uh, that emphasis,
4: uh, Kim, on the care uh, for the client. That you know, it's whether it's coaching or therapy, it's it's the client welfare. You know, that is the center of our approach. So that that detailed attention to places of uh, of exploration, you know, those the points of projection are also points of self understanding, which is this amazing opportunity we have in in our profession that we get to grow by doing we grow personally by doing work and help uh, hopefully for other people. I think that's. That's just, you know, this incredible uh, opportunity. And, and this, you know, like, wow, who needs a 401k? You know, if, if you get that as uh, your retirement, that's awesome. Um, so uh, I love that. We, we take a particular sort of perspective that I would, I would, I would add to this. And I'm not sure exactly how to say it, um, but it's that, and, and, and Jung said this as well, actually, that the shadow has both positive and negative sides to it. Uh, and that, that we think of projection primarily even. We, we, we shift the lens a little bit toward projection, not only into the projection of what, what you know, Freud might call, you know, those, those nasty little it impulses, you know, the stuff that I want to repress, the stuff I don't want to face about myself, you know, all of that. Um, but there's also what we, we, we sort of recast as outsight which is we are also projecting our own best and and brilliance uh, out there as well and so to uh, to claim as well those uh, those projections like, oh, wow, they're so brilliant. They're so generous. They're so kind. They're so amazing. They're so, you know, all of that is likewise, likely uh, just a projection. And if I could access within myself and each of us as coaches to access within ourselves, our own brilliance and intelligence and intuition and insightfulness and kindness, you know, to like to start there, i think is probably the thing you know i'm talking about building the nest that that what skews our work in coaching and psychotherapy is this negativity bias and that's what i think really disorganizes systems and so if we are if we can build in the way that I think our biology wants to grow that's through support and positive uh, reinforcement, positive feedback. So um, that's, that's where I would, I would suggest to, to start because we, in our, in our coaching training, we want people to like, feel free to disinhibit. In other words, uh, I think one of my earliest articles back in the day was about your, your right to project and, and to really, invite people within this supportive environment to project freely uh, so that, that we don't continue this repressive process of, and where we're just trying to like behave better. Right. And so, you know, we're not we're, we're looking for our coaches to just to let it fly in the practice experience so that then they have a chance to see their system behaving spontaneously and not doing more of the self-deception where, oh, see, I'm so well behaved and and just reinforcing that whole shadow side. And I, I know that's not what you're proposing, but uh, but that's that's the downside, I think, of the negative uh, feedback process or what could be like dinging you, like, hey, we used to do this. Maybe y'all did too, you know. And in your psychotherapy training, you know, the the insults in psychotherapy training was, oh, you're you're projecting. No, you're projecting. No, you're projecting. <laughs> it's like this insult you hurl at somebody, like you're projecting. Uh, and so um, to sort of avoid somehow that kind of gotcha experience uh, we we emphasize a positive reinforcement uh, process so that's that's what I'm thinking and, then, and especially the positive aspect of projection and reclaiming those assets for ourselves
1: uh, what I want to add to that from what both of you are saying is that um, in the so there's, in the therapy world, there's transference and countertransference. So that's sort of this projection part of, I mean, I'm sure projections more than that, um, but the, that's the, the concept. So I would say uh, something about the way we teach in presence-based coaching is actually starting with the coach. So we start with the coach's presence and what the coach's habits are that get in the way of coaching cleanly or clearly. We don't use those words, but that's basically what it is. And so we have this process, and I'm sure you know this uh, uh, in coaching, of reviewing coaching, either videos or audios. And um, it is very telling to hear how folks are using their own words, having their own agenda, projecting onto the client, um, taking control, driving, you know, fixing, I mean, all of these things that it's really obvious to experienced coaches to hear and not to uh, the, the inexperienced or the new coaches to hear or even coaches coming into the presence-based stream. So it is, uh, it, it's lovely to have that conversation because, I mean, here, because I think it's a really important part of how we show up for people which is doing our own work first. It's totally a principle um, of our work, of presence-based coaching work. And we need to be walking the path ourselves before we ask a client to walk that path. We need to sort of know the territory. And I um, I think that's an essential thing before we can help another client, someone else rather. So yeah, I, that's a, a deep principle for me is doing our own work and including projection work and whatever else is getting in the way of having a, um, a clear container for change, where the client feels held and supported in a field of presence, a relational field of presence.
2: Yeah, it just sounds like we're all in agreement here. So we're probably all onto something pretty accurate here. Cleaning up and um, focusing on the positive and client-centered orientations are all very powerful tools that we can use. I also am interested in, in, Stephen, your idea of projection. I think that when we clean up our projections uh, and we understand what they are, that we can actually use our projections then in a skillful way. Like I can project more capacity onto my client than they believe they have. And actually the client then often responds. So you can actually utilize transference, counter-transference as a tool, I don't think that's wise to do that until you've cleaned up your projection, you understand what you're doing. But um, in that case, I think, you know, once you clean up, you can actually utilize these tools in in more sophisticated ways.
0: There was a question I actually was sitting with was like, could there be a use for skillful projection? Um, I'm I'm also, I'm curious to have you three with us to ask, if you feel that there are ways in which we've held what healing is, what development is that have become outdated and that we're being invited to let go of. Um, And this might lead us in this direction of, of, you know, like kind of where we started in this sense of like, is it coaching? Is it therapy? Um, What are we, what are we actually doing? Is there even a, uh, a bigger synthesis, which is emerging in our times when, when, yes, we're in this time between worlds, we're recognizing that, you know, that that our thriving is not only individual work, but it's really entrenched within these systems that we've inherited, which may or may not actually be conducive to our thriving. Perhaps we're saying they're not, you know, like there's a, there's a lot going on with our culture and our, Institutions, which is leading to people feeling um, feeling not well, you know, or depressed, and so um, I guess I'm I guess I'm like this. I'm I'm weaving a lot in here, yeah. But but the question is, yeah, wanting to ask like what what ways do you think we're being invited to embrace right now that that are yeah really conducive to our to our healing to our development to our well-being as we're, as we're ensconced in this world with, with all these crises we're faced with. Like, just one last thing I'll say. Like one, one friend I spoke to, he said, you know what? You, sh- you, you, sh- you shouldn't be helping people to feel okay working in some of these organizations. People should be feeling bad about working there. They're unhealthy. Right? Why would you want to empower them to go back in there? And even on a broader scale, he was saying, you know, people, shouldn't people be feeling disturbed right now because of what's happening? So, so yeah, I'm gonna throw that back at you all now and just see, see where you take it. <laughs> uh, you're chumming the waters, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: yeah. So, uh, I I think, and uh, and I I would imagine my my colleagues here will agree what we're aiming for is to grow uh, our capacity to respond to what's happening it's our goal isn't to like have somebody feel good but to actually feel uh, and feel in response to uh, reality i think i think that's what we're we're aiming for here and to sort of remove some obstacles to relating full on to uh, what's happening now I think one of the changes that we're seeing also is, you know, there's been a trend in in helping field, sort of the depathologizing trend, uh, the trend toward uh, diminishing hierarchical relationships. So rather than being an an expert and then the patient, I think, you know, like a doctor patient, um, you know, there is evolving this sense of, Co-evolution of people, or intersubjectivity, or more of a, a partnership of uh, of relationships. So, I think that notion is a really a good one. And you know, we, you know, the, these the notions of therapists, even of coaches. You know, sometimes I think should should we call ourselves sort of, um, you know, like midwives or something like psychological midwives or self midwives or something like that, because we really focus again on the, the intrinsic healing emergence that wants to happen and how we tend to that, I think, is the key question. So uh, that's, that's one of the big shifts. And I think that that diminution of hierarchy and dominance is happening as we're seeing that uh the systems of domination colonization racism systemic uh oppression have have just not worked and they've led to the problems that we are facing not resolved them so uh that's that's one thing that i think is really key and just the the shifting of hierarchy and uh the relationship that happens in that uh in the in the attuned uh, process of coaching and and support so i think that's that's kind of the the big one that I would, I would name.
1: So I, I hear Doug in my ear saying, uh, he, he used to say this a lot, that what we call coaching has been going on for millennia between all different kinds of, of people at all levels, families, shamans, spiritual mass, whatever you want to say. So we call it coaching now, or we call it therapy now, but you know, that's just a construct. It's not actually what we're doing. And I think conditions have changed, you know, uh, Starting with COVID, but maybe even way before that with climate change, there their uh, conditions have changed in the outside, and it's affecting us as humans on the planet. And so we're coming to a place where we need to change with that. So maybe that's changing what we call what we do <laughs> to midwifery, I like that. Um, and there is where uh, I think we're outgrowing in terms of. Um, what we do, uh, we could be outgrowing the old paradigms of the restrictions of this is a competency or this is where we got trained or whatever it is. So along those lines, I think we each have to have our own um, view of what we're doing. You know, I do feel like there's healing potential in coaching and with humanity right now in the very biggest way. I mean, these just all the events that are happening in our world, I see them as opportunities also. I see them as wake up calls to, as you were saying, Steve, what's not working, what's no longer working. And we, as whatever our role is, helpers, supporters, healers, um, coaches, therapists, we can support uh, those who want to change with it, those who want to meet what's happening now in a different way, as you said, building capacity to be their full selves and their wholeness. And so I think that's sort of my view is that um, we have become quite disconnected from ourselves, from others, from the planet. And so uh, that's part of what I feel presence brings is awareness of our disconnection. It's not pleasant, but when we see the truth of it then it gives us the opportunity to reconnect. And to connect with each other and feel part of something a lot bigger, which I think many of us and belong to something much bigger, which I think many of us are missing. And I know my clients, a lot of my clients are missing that. So and then the other piece I would add um, is that this gives our us and our clients, because it's for both, the opportunity to reveal what our gifts are. So that, that's part of the shadow also. You know, our jewels or our gifts inside uh, that we can then contribute.
2: That's it. Wonderful. So wonderful being with you two wise people here. It's lovely. Um, I just want to honor that for a moment. Maybe addressing what uh, I think you were hinting at, Joel, is often what we are doing in psychotherapy coaching, mentoring is helping people to adapt, like Stephen said. But the problem comes up, are we helping them to adapt to an unhealthy system? And so the question is, When we're working with people and we're helping them to adapt to an unhealthy system, sure, they might be healthier in and of themselves, but we're perpetuating an unhealthy system that's creating more damage to the overall global ecosystem, the overall social dynamics of the world and everything. So there's this balance between, you know, the individual empowerment in the system and how does the individual go in there and not just adapt, but actually enhance change that will help change the system so that the system is more healthy. And that can come anywhere from very gentle, client-centered oriented to radical revolutionary orientations And, and finding that right mix between how healthy individuals can help build healthy systems and how healthy systems will actually raise healthier individuals and we're in this place where we're working with the individual, and this is one of the things that, that I felt a lot of grief around, and I'm sure both Bibi and Stephen have noticed this too. That so often I've helped my client to adapt better, and all I did was make them more healthy neurotics. They're just more uh, they're able to adapt better to an unhealthy system, and they're just lost in that system. And so there's this real dance between helping people be healthy to be able to be adaptive, but also to be courageous, to stand up for what's going to create a healthier system and to learn how to build these healthy systems so that more people can be raised up in them. And I think we're starting to get that with corporate culture, but most corporate culture or orientations are not the the, the real baby steps into this whole world of systems understanding and, and building healthy culture uh, as opposed to um, following the meme of we're building culture um, are two pretty vast things. Um, You also asked us to say, where do we think that we have maybe um, some of the things that we've overstepped or that are not necessary anymore? I would say one of the things that we've done and and I've been at fault at this, and that is building self-esteem. I think building self-esteem is fine, but we also live in a culture where 95% of us believe we're above average. And what we're really building is narcissism. And so uh, what we need to do is be aware of the difference between building narcissism and building healthy self-esteem and, 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 and that's true of coaches and psychotherapists too. 95% of us believe we're above average. So it's really humbling for us to take a look at those statistics. If we understand math and go, wow, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm believing that I'm pretty fantastic, but maybe I need some honest feedback about where I'm not. And we can understand how everybody is above average in some way and below average in some way, and to balance that and have that courageous ability to go, wow, I'm just not very good here. And that's okay. I'm pretty good over here. I'm not good here. And just have that honest reflection of who we are versus just kind of blindly building self-esteem and blindly building adaptability to this is where my self-esteem maybe needs to be below average. That's going to make me more humble and also more Honest and rich and alive, and also this is a place where I can adapt to the system. But this is a place where maybe adapting isn't the wisest thing to do. Maybe I need to be a, a courageous leader, even if it might lead to um, personal consequences. Um, uh, and maybe I can do it in a way where I don't have personal consequences. You know, a lot of um, skill development in that. So
0: again, there's so there's so little time and so so many directions we could go in I, I wonder if you, there what you say to this you know that in a sense like you're, you're mentioning self-esteem there Kim and um, like I wonder if there's um, what's emerging and you've mentioned presence Bibi, and and Steve you talked earlier about um, that there's a, there's a, an, an innate kind of movement within our biology and And so something I sit with these days is like my own letting go of my own importance as a coach, in a sense, uh, that that i that I'm a great coach who can help my client get somewhere. and I think I think many coaches recognize that 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 can be a sticky place to get into, but just how how subtle that can be, perhaps what we're talking around with projection as well. And so where I'm going with this question is, do you feel that there is, that of our times is this move into a kind of work which is allowing for emergence to take place, you know, and that it, it, it means, um, you know, like trusting the emergent healing in our biology, uh, trust, trusting our system will orient if it's given the right conditions, if, if we can, you know, be, be presence Uh, something, something larger than the parts of us that often have a change agenda for ourselves. And so anyway, that's the question I have. It's like, what do you think about that? Do you think that that's one of the moves in our times is that it's like hands off, we've taken ourselves too seriously in, in one sense. And we're developing, developing like a meta competency of allowing organic emergence to take place. I
4: think you stumped the panel, Joel. <laughs> I
0: was like, either uh, people just don't know what I'm about, really, really disagree, or I drop
4: the mic. Yeah, no, just drop the mic. Just drop the mic. Uh, no, I, that's yeah. All of those questions are are absolutely the questions that are foremost in my mind, uh, and in such an array, I, I couldn't even find a handle on it. So I'll I'll just go back to muting myself.
1: Well, I do. Uh, I, I have something to say about it, which is that um, what you're pointing to is close to my heart. About taking my hands off the wheel, like we are not in control, and it's really important as coaches and as therapists and helpers to understand what's really happening. Not that we know all the details of it, but that we create a container. You know, we create a space. Um, And in our work a space of presence, so that uh, what wants to happen happens. And we have lots of tools, and yet we don't know where it's going. So what you said about trust is really important. Because we learn to, or we are in the process of learning to trust both ourselves and the client. Those are competencies, you know, as resourceful. And also the process. So whether we call it coaching or therapy, trusting that in a certain um, container of safety uh, and trust, that this, what Steve's been saying, this natural movement, which I totally agree with, will happen. So as we remove whatever uh, constraints are there, there's a natural movement toward growth, expansion, healing. Um, and I I guess this is also based in my belief that, healing starts within or change and growth starts within each of us so we can look outside and and I agree about working with systems and through systems because we're all in systems and we're embedded within them and yet I feel like that's the leverage point is the internal so as we work with leaders we're working with leaders internally developmentally around their being so more ontologically as well as their doing because the being supports the doing in a way that is um very effective and practical although it doesn't sound like that at first <laughs> it's counterintuitive and yet the being emerges and then the doing follows from that so that's what I, how i would say that
2: it's just so lovely listening to you guys um to Just playing with that a little bit, we, we are, you're saying, Joel, do we take ourselves too seriously? And and I think each of us do at different times, and maybe at times not. Um, We're really playing with this balance of, uh, and and these have been hinted at with with both Stephen Beebe, um, the individual and the collective. Are we working with the individual or are we working with the system? And then we have the internal and the external. And when we go to the internal, we're working with both individual parts and the collective parts, the internal systems. So we have that dynamic. We have doing and being. Um, And so when we're moving through our development, sometimes we're in a doing place or our clients are in a doing place. And now we as a practitioner have a chance to explore Do I match that or do I complement that? Sometimes we match it and we have this doing doing thing that really grows beautifully. But sometimes if we get too doing with our doing clients, we can take over the doing space. And now the client is following us. And we end up with this issue of projection upon our client that is a problem. Uh, Sometimes we can be in a complementary place where we're in being and just holding space, that safe, trusting, holding space. And that allows our client to unfold into this open space to be doing. Sometimes our client is in a being space and and sometimes uh, we can match them with the being and that leads to this this beautiful organic evolutionary flow. And sometimes we can be in a doing place because that leads to a leadership and this is where it's okay for us to take leadership if that's the appropriate thing to do at that particular time with that particular client. Because some clients really, you know, get annoyed when you just match them with being when they're in being, they really are looking for expertise. And so we need to provide that. So we're balancing all of these complexities within this unfolding organic evolutionary system that we all, you know, honor and appreciate. So do we take ourselves too seriously? Probably. (laughs) Is there a lot of complexity? Yes. Do we sometimes... Is is taking ourselves being honest with our self esteem? Where I do have a skill important? Yes. Is it also important to realize? No. You know this is a time for me to have, to not be in that to be an honoring of my client skills. You know to create to invert the hierarchy. So we have the hierarchy, the inversion of the hierarchy, and the egalitarian. We're balancing all of these at the same time.
0: And just, just um, a quick question, when you say we're doing, you know, say of our clients being and we're doing, what, what, what would that be? You mean like giving expertise around something? What do you mean by doing basically?
2: Yeah, sometimes we're the ones providing expertise to our clients. Sometimes I know where the unconscious mechanisms are running, and I know that if they follow this thread, uh, they're going to be in a, in a miserable loop. And so what I'll do is I'll guide them out of that into a healthy developmental organic growth, you know, process instead. Sometimes we do have the expertise. And if we do it, we step into that leadership role at the appropriate time. And if we don't, we, we don't then, of course.
0: Nice. Okay, great. So it's like a kind of weaving of all of those that can come to the foreground as necessary. Yeah. Nice. Steve, I don't know if you wanted to chime in or...
4: Yeah. Uh, well just to add to all the mics dropping around here um, which is that um, that I'm so appreciating this uh, systemic approach and the understanding of systems interactions, the sense of balance doing and being in particular I think that's really right on and I uh, in, a, in order for uh, for me I think about, um, and we begin with like how the biology functions, like the, this notion of doing and being like when, when to provide more guidance, when to be, you know, more laissez-faire, um, all of that really resides in, in that attunement relationship. So again, if you, if you get that attunement relationship, we're attuning to both the person's condition system and something that, you know, you might think of as less conditioned or more essential. And sort of holding the balance of that of that process in the emergence is really key. And we take for that the notion of, uh, of the biological functioning. And, and if we're talking about change work, the, the first thing I think that we need to recognize is that the biology actually doesn't want to change. you know, The biology says, oh, I want to stay alive. I want to stay in survival. And so that means don't change mostly fundamental properties. So if if you're looking for qualitative change of system properties, biology generally is not having it. Uh, biology says, hey, you know, I, I've got a system that's alive and functioning. Thank you very much. Go pedal to your therapeutic wares elsewhere. And so, uh, so you know, there can be incremental change. You know, you can do exercise. You can improve your cardiovascular facilities and so on. That's that's awesome. But to change the fundamentals of biological processing, uh, that takes a, um, you know, really adept approach. And I'm hearing a lot of adeptness in, in what y'all are saying. So um, uh, for us, it means landing in a lot of positive reinforcement in reflection when that's in a attuned environment. We, we feel like we grow through support uh, and that, that support, that attuned relationship and support needs also to feel like support. That is the, uh, the, the system, I think, uh, changes more if it doesn't feel like change, or, or to say another way, we satisfy the biological need to stay stable uh, by bringing in positive reinforcement. And, and if you're able to do that and find from the client what is really stabilizing and actually feeling well, then that that sort of lets the guard at the gate of biological change uh, ease up enough to allow the system to grow in the way that we think is normal, like love and support and connection and value. And, you know, the Rogerian unconditional positive regard and, and those kinds of, uh, of processes. So um uh, we, uh, we're, we just published or will be published in the International Journal of Body Psychotherapy, a, um, an article, we'll put it up on their website, but it's, uh, the title is like a non-directive positive reinforcement framework for trauma and addiction treatment. And so that that for us kind of puts it all together, that that non-directive or or the art of direction and non-direction for positive reinforcement and how that helps people grow. So that and in other words, what I what I think is needs to be left behind and is the is trauma being trauma informed. I think that's trauma misinformed, in fact, and the focus on What's wrong? The focus on the problem, the focus on even trauma, to the degree that it is, you know, like run by the therapist instead of by the client, then those are going to be disorganizing inputs into the client, and just keep that self-reinforcement of dysregulation ongoing. So that's that's uh, that's my contribution to this uh, this colloquy here.
0: Thank you. If I just ask you a follow-up, Steve, because we're going to bring questions in, but you you just put a lot on the table there. Um, because yeah, that seems to go against a lot of the the advice or or maybe approach people have of like focusing on trauma. Are you, I, I, I'm just summarizing, trying to get my my head around what you're saying. Are you saying like actually that can exacerbate the problem in uh, it's like a negative reinforcement in some sense. And then uh, you, could, you talk about positive reinforcement. Just could you say what you mean by that? Like it's not it's not just verbal um, reinforcement. And I think you mean more than that, don't you?
4: Uh, yeah, indeed. Um, the, the most simple way, I mean, the distinction between negative and positive reinforcement is really key. And so uh, negative reinforcement, I mean, just technically, it's, it's not punishment. That's what people usually think of it as. But it's the, the removal of an, an aversive state. So, uh, you know, you um, uh, so in, initially it was from the lab of Watson where they would run uh, rats in cages with the electrical current in the floor. And then uh, and then they would the rats would bump into the switch that would turn off the electricity and they would learn to more rapidly go in that direction. But it was the reinforcer was you turn off the, un, the discomfort. Right. And so that's that's negative reinforcement. Positive reinforcement is just, you know, something that makes something happen more. Uh, And so negative reinforcement is the turning off of, say, an aversive state, which is therapy, which is psychotherapy, which is like, oh, I feel bad. And then somehow I get to feel better. And that creates for humans, I believe, this unfortunate conditioning that the way to feel better is by feeling worse first. And so we are are trending our uh, interventions around positive reinforcement, but in this important attuned environment. So some people, you know, you've got to be with the person where they are. So you can't just sort of, you know, uh, sort of hammer somebody with uh, like compliments or something, you know, you really got to be with a person where they are. But in the end, uh, to come out of the mass addiction to negative reinforcement, it's it's reinforcing for the psychotherapist to say, okay, what do you want to deal with today, or what's the problem? And then the person talks about the problem. They evoke states are aversive, and then they get empathy, they get understanding, they get support, they get attention, they get out of the session or something that then they feel better, and then that is negative reinforcement. And they are reinforced for some negative experience that then feels better. and And that is the addiction model. And so that's that's the challenge is to be able to work in in that kind of uh, dynamic, actually.
3: That's okay.
2: absolutely dead on. If you take a look at neural uh, pathways in the myelin sheath, you don't want to be reinforcing the trauma because all you're doing is reinforcing the myelin sheath on the biological level and reinforcing the trauma. So, Stephen, brilliant work right on. I, I've come to the same conclusions. And uh, so, there's that leaves us then with these, these situations. And that is, do we then just promote positive state work? Um, but that can sometimes lead to denial, and that doesn't work. Uh, do we go into the trauma? But then that can reinforce the Myelin sheep. So there's this dance between holding positive state experiences and also being able to go into the trauma from a place of stronger positive state experiences that can dissolve the trauma. And then therefore there's a natural reinforcement of the myelin sheath to the healthier states. So that avoids both the denial and the, and the reinforcing of the myelin sheath, which, which is really the balance. What we're looking at again, is this beautiful balance. And I like to hold like an 80, uh, 70 to 80%, um, positive state experience to the 20 to 30% trauma. If you're just going into the trauma and getting lost in it, you're just reinforcing it. So I hold that 70, 30, 80, 20 state experience. And that helps to dissolve the trauma without being in denial of it. And also helps reinforce, positive reinforce the myelin sheath. And I just want to also say, Stephen, thank you so much, because what you described was multiple states of psychotherapy, multiple practices of psychotherapy, which was client-centered psychotherapy, but also when it comes to the biology, basic behaviorism, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. We got to be able to play with all of the modalities if we're going to do complete healing. Every modality has a place, but if we only say, all I'm just going to do is client-centered psychotherapy, that's going to work for some people, but for the vast majority of people, it's only going to get a piece of it. We have to dance around this, this multimodal orientation towards healing if we're going to do good trauma work.
3: Yeah,
1: I love what you you are both saying. And we are not doing, you know, trauma work per se, in terms of that level of the needs of trauma professional in our coaching practice or coaching practice in general, at this point. So I just want to make that distinction. But what I would say our approach is a little bit different. And so we are really cultivating presence, both of the uh, clinician or the um, coach, and of the client. So we're supporting both In the field of presence to cultivate our own presence, because we believe that presence actually leads to awareness and awareness is what leads to choice. And so there are positive states that arise of being more present and aware of what's happening, especially since we work specifically in and through the body as well and our wholeness. And there are negative, quote, negative states that arise if we're triggered or whatever. And so we're working with both of those. Uh, we're taking a, taking as it comes, and then we're building that capacity to witness what's happening, as well as make a different choice of either behavior or perspective or emotion or whatever. And so it's it's different than what you're talking about. And I understand and appreciate what you're talking about.
4: Uh, I would just say the uh, I think we're maybe in more in agreement than uh, than it may sound, because if I find being present to being triggered, being present to grief, being present to more of my experience is incredibly pleasurable, even if it's Uh exactly negative. Right.
1: Exactly. And it's a perspective shift around that that happens. Yeah. Thanks for saying that.
2: So I agree hundred percent too. I think we're all saying the same thing. I would add one little thing and that is that some people don't like presence and we often assume that they do and that that's what's healing, but some people don't. And I've made this mistake many times thinking that they want presence when really, really what they're wanting is step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, and they don't really care about my presence. And sometimes we project onto them that they want presence. And so I'm just saying, be aware, you know, for most people, yes, that's what they're wanting. But, you know, you get people at different developmental levels and presence isn't really at the foreground. Um, Fourth person perspective, everybody wants presence. Third person perspective, a little less. Um, Sometimes they just want good old nuts and bolts. One, two, three. B Be, as a social worker you know I, i'm i'm all
4: about you know like great social work you know and and to say there's nothing more uh more pleasant than uh being present to say dissociation or just solid advice giving so uh we we don't have to do and i don't think any of us are doing an either or in this so yeah thanks for that
0: yeah i i, I think this is such a rich conversation we could actually spend an hour and a half on this topic alone. It's something I've spoken with you each about individually. Um, So, but anyway, I want to just bring a couple people live. Maybe we can pick this topic back up after that. We'll just see. uh, So Raphael. Uh,
3: Thank you, Joel. Uh, Okay. This is a question as, as coaches uh, we have been trained um, not to explore the past of the coachee, uh, but, to look on the present and in the future. And in my opinion, obviously, we lose a great opportunity to find out if there is some kind of trauma there uh, that later on is going to be an obstacle for the the Kochi transformation. Uh, So what are your suggestions to keep this magical balance between? You know, looking forward, but at the same time, uh, being uh, sensitive to trauma. And maybe like one or two people can respond to
0: each question rather than everybody. Bibi, you want to go?
1: I do. I thank you for the question. Um, How I see it is that depends on your coach training organization, but ICF is okay with you going back into the past, they just don't want you digging into deep trauma work. At this point, that's their line in the sand. Um, and w- how we do it, they, they call it an origin story. So it's great to get an origin story. We need to know where patterns and strategies that are no longer working for the client that they've outgrown and they want a new story around, we want or new experiences around. We wanna kind of know that it's like a touchstone of, ah, oh, I see, well, this is where that started. And we work with that in the present moment. So we're not in the past. We're working with what's occurring right now and with and for and through the client in the present around that story. So that's a, a short answer.
4: I would agree, and uh, the only thing that we would take out is the story that uh, that the that the, uh, that the biology on an ongoing basis is telling you that story in the present moment. We train our folks to see those signs in the biology and in the in the ways of behaving, interacting, the the patterns of affect, and so everything that is relevant from trauma is actually happening right now and we just train people to see that directly in the behavior and in the relationship and in the interaction without reference necessarily to trauma at all it's it's happening right now
0: that's great uh thanks for that question rafael Uh, i'm just going to move through uh shiona let me ask you to unmute there you go Hi, um I would actually like to particularly direct my question to Stephen. Um Stephen, I was listening to you about the
3: way you, you know, your new book coming out and everything you were talking about. And I would really actually love if you could give us a like a mini
0: demonstration. What happens if you have a PTSD war veteran or a rape victim who comes
1: into your count, you know, your room? What would how would your Therapy work. I know we only have a few minutes left, but just something real and practical. How would that work?
4: Oh, you know, um, all of the talk about positive reinforcement, I'm always saying it's within the attunement relationship be mm-hmm. with the client where they are. And, and I would imagine my colleagues agree. It's like, that's that's where you start is really being with them where they are, that empathy, congruence, unconditional positive regard. It's, mm-hmm. it's really starts right there. Mm-hmm. And then directing our attention to what the client is looking for and what they are seeking, what they are needing in the moment as they articulate it in that moment. So mm-hmm. none of this should be interpreted as something we impose upon the client really emerges out of that that relational like understanding
0: mm-hmm.
1: thank you thank you joe
5: thanks shiona um, one's just kind of alistair yeah thanks um, do we have a definition of what trauma is um, and this is a question for all three participants if you've got or been panelists if you've got time and um, just to give you context as to where that question is coming from, so for me in my coaching practice, I believe that the thing that's usually holding the client back is their trauma. So let's say they're not confident enough to speak in front of their team, and they they look competent, they're educated, etc., but then once you dig deeper, you find out that maybe when they were in school, somebody laughed at them when they didn't speak right. Mm -hmm. So that's the context of of my question. So when I am coaching as trauma-informed, I'm like always looking for that, you know, that core wounding, like when did this problem start? Um, So, yeah, definition is what I'm looking for so that I just understand more of where everybody's coming from.
0: It's a great question. probably should have asked it at the beginning as well.
2: Well, I guess I can start. Um, I think that there's multiple ways to answer that question. On a biological level, it's a neural pathway that's been trained in, and you need to untrain the neural pathway. On a subtle level, it's a storyline that's been repeated And uh, is occurring in the somatics, in the consciousness, in the the verbal mind, the verbal linguistic mind um, that needs to be reconstructed. If we're talking on the spiritual or the consciousness or the awareness level, we're talking about a constriction in in the consciousness on one of the parameters of of our consciousness dynamics that needs to be released. So we can look at these at different developmental levels. And ideally, we look at them at all the developmental levels simultaneously. But um, we also notice where our client is, and, and if our client is at the subtle level, we underlie, realize we need to use subtle and, and concrete tools to, like, behaviorism, as well as presence. For example, subtle tool, presence, a behavioral tool, cog, uh, concrete, um, and then we can go into uh, places that are actually quite advanced, like uh, meta awareness orientations that can help people heal on on a much more, what we might call a spiritual level. So what we want to do is be aware of the developmental level of the client and use the appropriate developmental tools to that. So the definition of trauma occurs throughout all of those. and, And you orient the definition slightly different based upon where you're coming from, but they're all in operation simultaneously.
1: So I would just say from a coaching lens that um, that sounds, so how will I say this? So I would say trauma is unprocessed um, material held in the person's being at, at some level or all levels some, from some event or events in the past. So some part that is locked away, out away from consciousness, frozen, stuck, um, that can or doesn't have to impair daily functioning. And so it's generally that. It's a, a like a wounding, and you can look at it from different frames, as Kim is saying, uh, depending on how you see things in the world. And so it, it, it in terms of coaching, if uh, the client cannot, because coaching was originally designed for folks that are pretty functional, pretty high-functioning. And so if a client uh, needs other help, cannot function in their life because of this past event like you're talking about, then that's when you might refer. I'm just giving you sort of a coaching view of it. Um, and Alistair, what you're talking about seems like you know, a, a pretty typical coaching situation from, from my hearing. It could or could not be uh, something that is not workable in trauma you'd have to know a little bit more about how it's affecting the person. I just want to say also that ICF has two really lovely documents that will support you probably and all of us, if you haven't seen them yet, about when to refer to coaching and therapy, the difference. And it's very helpful. And there's a really long 11 or 15 page one that goes into clinical definitions. And I think we ought to be aware of that as coaches um, so that we will know what we're working with and when to refer to a professional trauma professional.
4: Thank you again, uh, Bibi, for that that call to remaining within our competence and scope and care for people. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, and then uh, Kim, a neural pathway that's been trained in, and just appreciating the multi level way of seeing that. And, uh, and that's, that's in particular what we focus on in OIs, OI that, that sort of biological level. We feel like all the other levels are resonant. So we begin at that biological level and then work our way th- successively through other levels. Um, and the thing I think that, that trauma is not, is it's not the past, uh, right? Because everything is happening in the present moment. Like the reason that we're working in the present moment is that that's all we have. And so the, the trauma is not the story. The trauma is the remaining imprints that are in the biology. And then what you're going to do about that is, is then sort of the, the, you know, the, the interesting interplay of our different approaches and, and that have, that aren't that different after all, it seems. So Thanks.
2: Not so different. And actually, I'm going to challenge you a little bit, Stephen, because what you expressed was an evolutionary orientation towards healing, start at the biology, move up but you can also use an involutionary one. And I hear in your words, you also use an involutionary one. You start with presence, awareness, and all of this, and then hold space for that biology then to evolve. So we have both an evolutionary and an involutionary tool. And I just wanted to say, you are using both. I hear it in your words, and, and both, are, both are important in, in that aspect.
4: Uh, Thank you for naming that. And that brings us right back to the ability to have enough diverse tools and the flexibility of perspectives to be able to meet the client exactly where they are. So thank you for for naming that and uh, giving us a chance to reemphasize that. It's lovely.
0: Raphael, I'll I'll bring you, I see you've got Henny on. Um, I'll bring Henny live and I've said it now, I'll do it.
3: Um, Thank you, Joel. And um, I'm trained in in humanities, many years ago, and the distinctions you picked up in the beginning between coaching and therapy, and then going into clinical and vocational and educational, um, and how things have developed in terms of coaching, even spoke at one stage about industrial psychology. And the last response from Kim in terms of coming to the matter from both sides, as it were. My question is I missed the sociological construct and discussion, especially in terms of positioning, coaching and therapy and wellness for a future generation. And i'm open to 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 hear whether that is relevant at all um, and is it something one should think about at this point in time, given the way in which the order in its broader sense is not changing it has changed, and maybe we're behind the curve in terms of how we position to be of service
0: well, we've got we've got a few minutes left and that's a, that's a a big question a brilliant kind of
2: one. on that one real yeah. quick because what we do in in stages we actually uh, study developmental levels and we actually have a, 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 a scientifically validated system for doing that and when we look at the uh, kids today like the millennials uh, there's so many millennials that are already at fourth and fifth person perspective, whereas many people in our generation are not even out of second or third person perspective yet. So I think that you're talking about two different, two, there's two aspects to your question. One is we have just the, the changing or the evolving nature of, of our society and how do we adapt. We have the changing nature of psychotherapy and, and coaching and healing as we learn more and more. And we also have this uh, developmental evolution of people moving through developmental stages from first-person perspective to second, to third, to fourth, to fifth, to sixth. And that seems to be happening on a more rapid level. Uh, It appears to. I don't know that we have the research on that, but it appears to be happening. I'm not saying most millennials are moving into higher- developmental perspectives than than previous generations, but there are a group of them that are moving very rapidly up there and understanding these developmental uh, perspectives and, and the different psychotherapy or healing that you need to do based upon the developmental level is really important. most of we've been talking about how do we work with people at fourth person perspective in this discussion a little bit on third person, but we haven't been talking a lot about second person or fifth person or sixth person and how we work with those kinds of people. And so uh, as we explore this, as we research it, as we um, evolve in our healing practices, uh, we are developing uh, more and more practices for, for, Later developmental level people, that's actually what my primary expertise in is at this point is how do you work with fifth and sixth person perspective people? How do you work with the 4.5 to fifth person crossover from the subtle tier to the metaware tier? And, and so those are not necessarily trauma-based. Uh, those are like growth-based orientations. The more we move into these later developmental perspectives, the more we're in growth-based versus healing-based, but we still have to have healing-based oriented. So I've said a lot there. I'll, I'll, I'll stop at this point. And
0: there isn't time uh, for anyone else to chime in there. So, and that's also a whole, uh, we could have spend a whole hour and a half on that. Actually, just before, before, I just want to invite each of you, uh, you literally only have one sentence, but I just wanted to say like, what's an invitation? This whole conversation has been an invitation and a really beautiful one. You know, I'm, I'm, I've really loved this uh, time together. You know, there's a palpable resonance of our exploration too for me. And so I'm I'm just curious if there's an invitation you want to make to the people here, knowing that you have, you know, like a 30 seconds each to do that. But I think it's, you know, we'll see what you say.
4: I think the invitation is that, uh, you know, we don't have time to train, uh, you know, first world therapists to get graduate degrees, expensive graduate degrees, and that Coaching offers an alternative and and a way of really educating and bringing help on a much broader scale. And and that sociological import is is why organic intelligence. And thank you, friends and colleagues here uh, for your partnership in that process.
1: I would say pay attention to your heart and follow that and get the support you need either as a coach or a
2: client. I would just agree that we have a shortage of, of healthcare right now, mental, mental healthcare, whether it be coaching, spiritual mentoring. And so coaching is providing a very important part of that and um, getting additional training like through Steven or through BB, it would be a, a great way to do that um, to get some additional training in, in helping provide a little bit broader service than maybe um, that you're able to provide already. And um, if you want to do some internal work, um, uh, that's enough. Yeah, I'd just say any, any of the three of us are more than happy to help and support you and your growth to be able to help other people more. And a
4: shout out to Joel and Coaches Rising as well, you know, to create <laughs> a, a really ecumenical and inclusive uh, framework like this. That's so heartful itself. Thank you also for your work and support.
1: Yes, thank you, Joel, and the whole team. Yeah. Appreciate you. being here and both of you. The conversation's been wonderful.
0: Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, you know, I just want to extend, extend that gratitude. Uh, for me, this conversation has really lived into that, that ambition I have of it being a living conversation that, yeah, like I said before, I feel the resonance, like there's a felt, there's a felt sense of something here, more than just ideas, you know, more than just intellect. And uh, I, I, think, um, I think I hope others who are with us can feel that, too, because uh, that's, that's what I wish for, that this ripples out into the world, because I do feel coaches are an important, essential vehicle in these times as our, as our therapists and other guides, midwives. So I uh, just want to say thanks to everybody who who's asked questions and we can bring our mics live and everyone can just say thank you or whatever you feel called to say into the space thank you phenomenal phenomenal thank you so much just a a heads up again if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create then head to coachesrising.com put your name in the sign up box there you'll also find some of our other offerings our online trainings for coaches there and just want to end by wishing you well and i'll see you again next time